Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello? Hello? Podcast Network Asia. So the first thing I would do pre you asking for a raise is to ask for what would constitute a raise. And you could come to your boss and you can say, look, I would love to make more money here. But I understand that's oftentimes predicated on me doing something that you want me to do. Can you help give me some definitions around what is valuable, what is important? I'm Mortal. I'm Stanley Chi, your host for the Underpaid Podcast. It's a pro-employee podcast na siguradong relatable sa lahat ng nag-opisina o work from home. So subscribe to Underpaid and enjoy the show. My Immortal, welcome to the Underpaid Podcast. I'm your host, Stanley Chi. This is a podcast wherein we talk about work-related topics in a light manner. In this episode, we'll talk about all about creativity, how to unleash your creativity as an employee, even if you're not a creative person. And in this episode, very special episode, our guest for today is the CEO and founder of The Future, an online educational platform with the mission of teaching 1 billion people on how to make a living doing what they love. Let's all welcome to the Underpaid Podcast, Mr. Chris Doe. Thanks Chris. for having me. Thank you. Welcome to the Underpaid Podcaster, and thank you for guesting in this very special episode. Chris was here in the Philippines, I think last year or a couple of years ago for Grafica Manila, and he talked about reinventing yourself. And part of reinventing yourself is you have to be creative and to know what you want to do, what you're passionate about. Chris, can you give the listeners a few snippets on how to reinvent yourself? Well, reinventing yourself begins with having the mindset that you're more oriented towards growth and letting go of attachment. I'll I'll try and break these concepts down. I define my own happiness, my own joy, fulfillment from seeing how much I've changed and grown over the last three, six, nine months. This is a very important metric for me for my happiness. And so I'm always pushing myself to move into places I'm not sure what I'm doing. Some of it scares me a little bit. And there isn't a clear blueprint for success. And the way that I'm able to do that is because I'm not attached to any old versions of myself, including labels or the way that I see myself. My self-story 
remains pretty open, open to change and open to influence. And I want to remain this way. So many people get stuck in that they were told at one point in their life they should be a doctor, a lawyer, or a nurse, or even a graphic designer. And so they commit themselves to this, even though they know deep in their heart this is not for them, or the evidence seems to indicate they're not particularly skilled at something and they're not going to be successful. This is where I think it's, and it's, it's a bit of a balancing act to know when you're not right for something and also not to give up too early before you hit success. So it really begins in the mind that you're looking for change, you're looking for growth, that you're also looking for better ideas and better ways of being a new and improved version of yourself. That would be the beginning stages to have the right mindset. Stage number two would to be open to new opportunities. And we know this, technology changes things. It's, in, it's inevitable. Change is inevitable. Progress, however, is a choice. So when new disruptive technologies or shifts in culture and consumption happen, you, you need to learn to, to, to swim with the tide, the current of what, the way things are going versus trying to fight it. So many of you have been reluctant to get on social media. Obviously not in the Philippines, social media capital of the world. But many people are very reluctant. And then all of a sudden they realize basically the, the majority of the people have gone past the tipping point and now you're a laggard, you're far behind and you're constantly playing catch up. You'll dismiss new ideas as saying, nah, that's not for me, that's stupid, that's trendy until you realize everybody's doing it. One of my friends who was a creative director who worked for me for a number of years and I was getting into social media and she said, oh, I don't want to do things that are trendy. And what she was trying to say, I think, was I don't want to do things that are, I don't want to follow fads. Fads come and go really fast where trends are strong indicators that something has shifted and is moving in a different direction. So she took great pride in saying, oh, I don't even do Facebook. Everybody's hot on Facebook. This is years ago, obviously. Yeah. And now I see her posting on Facebook all the time. So she's always seemingly like two generations behind what everyone else is doing and knows about. So she's going to be perpetually a laggard and you don't want to be a laggard. Oh. So when you see trends shift, look for those opportunities and ask yourself, how might I contribute to this? How might I take advantage of this? How might I leverage these new things and combine it with the existing skill sets that I have so I can ride the trend, so I can surf with that wave? Is it advisable to have all social media platforms or just concentrate on a few depends on what's yeah go ahead the, uh, the main social media platforms right now here in the philippines are facebook instagram and tiktok i think twitter is a bit lagging behind because of twitter is more for if you want to be in the know want want to know the news sports and other maybe if you want to follow several celebrities on what they what they think it, i think the answer to your question really depends a lot on where you are in your career and your interest level and your energy and all those kinds of things. I'm on multiple platforms simultaneously every single day, but I didn't start here. I started on one platform, the platform that made the most sense for me in the way I like to communicate video and, and long form content. So the only place that really is for that is YouTube. And so I built my audience on YouTube and I started to learn and understand patterns of how content connects with people and how, how it excites people. So I can then leverage those skill sets and then jump platforms and start to develop content on other ones just because I'm curious and that's all it was. And so I don't re recommend to people to do multiple platforms when you're just starting out because you're just multiplying the work without any of the insights. Focus on one platform. And right now, I would suggest that you start somewhere where you can create 
in volume so that you can get enough data to understand what works and what doesn't work. So Twitter is a great place for that. Super easy. Resistance, barriers to entry, very, very low. And you basically just put out your thinking and most ideas start with writing. Another great platform to work on is either TikTok or Instagram. But then now you're bringing it into production with video, with editing, with titling, with sound effects and music. It's a little bit more complicated unless you're doing single image or carousel posts on Instagram. The trend right now in YouTube is, I think, short videos because of the YouTube shorts. Or is it still the long form videos because of the because YouTube you go you go there if you want to watch how to videos or if you want to watch several videos that you missed on TV? Yeah, there is a changing consumption. I'm not sure yet. It's too early to tell if YouTube is saying it's all about shorts and not long form. YouTube's unique selling proposition is mid to long form content that's evergreen, highly searchable, and their algorithm in terms of recommending videos that you might like. And I think they have to be smart in competing with Instagram and TikTok to push the vertical short video format. I'm not sure that's where they're the strongest and we're seeing in our own numbers. Several months ago, we grew really, really fast by, by releasing shorts, almost a million subscribers in a very short amount of time by using shorts. And now we're seeing that it's not producing the same kind of results it used to. So for us, it's going to be a mixture of mid to long form content with a couple of shorts to bring in a broader audience. Okay, cool, cool. How about if you're an employee who's not that not that creative, you're not working in the creative field, how would you unleash your creativity? Is it, can creativity be learned or is it inborn? Okay, I think creativity is something that is within all of us. Creativity is taught out of us when we're going through school. We're told to focus on, on things like reading, writing, and arithmetic. And the arts are generally the, the most ignored part of the STEM or STEAM system, right? Science, technology, and engineering and math. They recently added the A to turn STEM into art. And this is really important. So I think if you just look at the way children behave, they are truly the most creative people. They're not limited by rules. They make things that have no meaning or sense, and they're super, super creative. And then we start to learn uh, in, in grade school and primary school that what happens is those artistic activities tend to get discouraged if you doodle while the teacher's talking, and you can, you'll, you'll probably be most likely punished for it. And if you look at the ratio between art classes to other kinds of classes, it's very low, relatively speaking. So eventually we, we grow out of being creative instead of growing into it. I don't think this is something you have to develop. It's innate in all of us. What we have to do is we have to learn how to rediscover it. We have to learn how to unprogram or deprogram and unlearn the things we've been taught. Now, I have this theory. People who wind up becoming adults who are creative in a traditional creative industry I think the reason why they still are is because they don't listen to authority. Like I, to, I, I know the teacher told me, I know my parents told me not to do this, but I just, I'm going to be a bit of a rebel and I'm just going to do things because this is the way I know how to move in the world. And so I think it's a shame that there's so many people who have grown out of creativity that there's only a handful, relatively speaking, compared to the general population. And that's a that's really that's a really sad thing that's happening. I think it's because 
in the Philippines, it's a third world country and most of the Filipinos, the employees, they have a families to feed. They put the focus on how much they earn first before doing creative things. How would you... Well, uh, hold on. I want to challenge that a little bit here. So if Filipino families put the focus first on money to support the family because you have to survive, I'm going to ask you this question. And I've asked this question before, so I already know the answer. What is a good salary to make annually translated to U.S. dollars? Okay. I'm not really sure. I think it depends on the lifestyle of the family. Well, you can come up with any number. I can't really check it. Go ahead and say whatever number you think. Okay. Uh, how about 1,500 US dollars per month? Okay. That would be what? $18,000 a year? Probably. Okay. So if you went home and told your mom, mom, I got a job. I'm going to make 18,500 or something like that or $18,000 this year. Would your mom be thrilled? Would she be sad? Would she be disappointed in you? I'm really not sure. It depends on the Filipino mom because some of the moms, especially Asians, they, they want more. <laughs> well, everybody wants more, but we have to set some kind of benchmark for success. For example, if you became an attorney, being an attorney typically is a very respectable job. It has certain guarantees, so to speak. How much money would an attorney make in a year? About the double, I think. 36,000, maybe 3,000 US dollars per okay. month. All right. Yeah, I'll ask the question again. Mom, I have a final job. I'm doing something I love. I'm doing something good. And I'm getting paid $36,000 a year. Would mom be proud of you yet? Or would she still be ashamed or, or upset that that's what you're earning? I think she'll be proud. Okay. I think we can say that with a degree of confidence, right? Not all moms are created equal. We understand that. So yeah. 36,000 is the benchmark. Okay? okay. Let's just keep that number locked in your mind. Now, before I retired from doing client work, the most we were ever paid to design one logo, just one logo was over $100,000. Now I could have just worked on that one logo, finish it, delivered to the client and stop working for two and a half years. And theoretically, by your mother's standard, she would be really, really happy. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> and I had free time. I could visit mom. I could spend time with my my, my relatives. I, I could clean the house. There's a lot of things I can do. And so when we say that in a developing country, the number one priority is money, which I understand. Therefore, we have to exclude art and design. That's the part I take issue with. Are we following me? Because yeah. I have the potential to make a lot more money if I know what I'm doing, if I'm good at my craft and I learn how to market and do sales to make a lot more money than so-called respectable jobs. Mm. I think the story has been told that to be a creative person means you're not going to have financial success. I want to change that story right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the Philippines back then, when you study fine arts, you get a hard time getting a job. And right now, the creative people are the ones earning a lot of money. People working in multimedia arts, designing websites, and putting up their own either advertising company or media agency. Yeah. And I want to make a distinction here. There's the commercial arts and there's the fine arts. The fine arts means I'm going to be an artist and I may be poor for the rest of my life and I'm okay with that. I'm not really looking for client work. I'm not doing service work. I'm doing art because it's part of my soul and the way I know how to be. I'm not talking about fine art. I'm talking about commercial art. 
art yeah. that is done in service of other people, marketing, advertising, social media, animation, identity design, website design. It's a very different thing, okay? Because that is, in theory, the applied fine arts to commercial applications. Yeah. How would you handle difficult clients for freelancers who are art directors, copywriters who have their own steady clients, but they're a bit, they always ask for more revisions. How would you say no? Okay, there's a lot to unpack here in this one thing. I'm not sure I believe in the concept of bad clients. I talk about a lot, but if we really dig deep down deeper, it's just there are clients that are good fits for us and there's p- clients who are poor fits for us. And your poor fit might be someone else's dream client. So the client isn't bad. It's just that it's not compatible with what you do. And so we need to have a different attitude towards that. Now, lots of really bad things have happened in order for the client to be working with you and asking you for more and more revisions without offering to pay you more money. So let's go back to the beginning. If we're in a scarcity mindset and a client comes knocking at a door, we're inclined to say yes, even though we already know this is not a good fit for me. And therefore, I'm not a good fit for the client. But because we're desperate, we need to make money because we have to uh, buy food and, and pay rent. We say yes. And so whose fault is it when we agree to take work from a client that we don't like, that might not even trust us, that doesn't want to pay us what we're worth? Whose fault is that, Stanley? It's our I fault. Expect, yeah, it's our fault. <laughs> it's our fault. So we should not say, well, I made bad decisions because I'm desperate because I don't know how to manage my finances and I overspend and I'll outlive my own means then I'm therefore going to point the finger at someone else and say it's their fault and they're bad people. No, it's really our fault. We have to take responsibility for that. We have to take ownership over it. And the other thing too is perhaps we didn't know they're going to be bad clients. And then they got through the system and then all of a sudden we realized late in the game that they're really actually quote unquote bad clients. Well, whose fault is that? It's, I think it's our fault. Because You're we absolutely to- right again, Stanley. It is our fault again <laughs> because we don't know how to have conversations with people. We don't know how to spot a client that might require more attention than what we're putting into the project. And there's one last criteria here. The last one is this. A client comes to us and offers us all kinds of money, more money than we could ever make in a year. A client gives you a $36,000 project and they ask for a couple more changes are you happy or are you upset? Uh, I think the revision, I'm going to be upset if they okay. they ask for a lot of revisions. And I think we have to set the up to okay. three revisions only. <laughs> okay, okay. Right, right. Let, let me just repeat the part of this that you might not have heard. So a client is, is asking you for revisions, right? And you're not happy with it because they've gone beyond the three revisions, right? But now the client same situation has paid you a lot of money. Does that change how you feel about them? Yeah. I, yeah. I think so. Right. So, so if you have a client that asks for more revisions, but agrees to pay you, are you happy? Or are you sad? I would be happy. <laughs> Me too. And if a client pays you so much money up front, then I could say within reason, anything you want, I would do. Yeah. Because I'm grateful that you gave me so much money to do this job. So it comes back to the beginning again. If we learn how to negotiate and ask for what we want, what we need, so that we're not just doing the project, but we're, we're compensating ourselves fairly, we won't have bad clients again because they're paying us so much money, they deserve the extra service. Like when you go to a nice restaurant, 
when you stay at a nice hotel, when you book a first class seat on a flight, you expect better service and they better give it to you because that's what you're paying for. Yeah. The seat is a little bit more comfortable, but it's not exponentially more comfortable that you would pay so much money. That means that if you want to make a substitution, if you want to ask for an extra blanket or pillow, if you need a little extra a luggage room to store your bags, they're going to accommodate you. And that's why they charge more for different levels of service. So the best thing that you can do as a human, as a creative person, is to charge your clients more so that you can actually do revisions with a smile. And here's the other best part, right? When you charge your clients more, the clients are more convinced this is the right solution, that you're the right person, that this is going to be more valuable to them. And that and why would they think that? Because they agree to pay you more. Yeah. So in a way, if you want better clients, charge more. How would you know your worth if you design a logo? Is there a rate card that's a set of standard rates for creatives, especially for newbies? Well, so here's the thing. You're worth exactly what someone agrees to pay you. No more, no less. Whatever somebody agrees to pay you, that's what they think you're worth. I don't believe in rate cards because, first of all, they're not verifiable. You're not getting a 100 out of 100 creatives telling you the truth. Very few people actually tell you what they charge. So I don't know where the rate card would come from. The rate card would most likely come from one or a few sources, and that's not enough data points, right? We understand. So when you're just starting out, when you're just a newbie, the first thing I would do is forget about charging for money. I would like to focus on my skill. I'd like to work for somebody who's much more skilled at doing what it is that I want to do. And I would just like to learn from them. So usually apprenticeships, internships really afford me those kinds of opportunities. But let's assume then I'm new out of school, which doesn't tell me if I'm good or bad. It just tells me relative to time which I've been working compared to others is fairly new. However, we, we all know this. You take 100 graduates from a school, they're not all the same. They don't have the same skill level. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to upskill We have to skill up, right? We have to increase our skill level at doing what it is that we're doing. And once you reach a certain stage where you're good enough, then it becomes an issue finding out the size of the problem relative to the value and the price you ultimately charge. There's no such thing as a rate card because each person has a different set of value and price they're willing to pay relative to their problem. Great. As for other creatives or other employees, I know that they're stuck in a nine-to-five job that they, they're not really happy about or they're not passionate about. How would they check what they're passionate about? I know that most people know it inside them that they're passionate about doing other things, but there, there's a certain pride or they don't want to admit that this is what they should do instead of this. I think most people make decisions for the wrong reasons. They make decisions because they're familiar with what they're doing and they're afraid of changing. And that's why I told you at the very beginning, you have to have a, you have to have a mindset that's oriented towards change and you got to let go of your fear of the unknown. This is really, really important stuff because you know what you're passionate about. Nobody has to teach you. I don't have to give you a course on this. All you have to do is look at all the things you look forward to doing that you do freely, that you do, that you'll pay money to do, that you do in your free time. That's really your passion. And if, if what you're passionate about is not the job that you're doing today, you have to ask yourself, why is that the case? 
Why do I have two separate lives? The life where I get to enjoy my life by doing the things that I love and the things that I don't love but is what makes me money because I was afraid there's too much uncertainty. So I wound up doing this other job because it was more certain so I can have enough time to do the things that I really love. But think about the irony here. The irony is you want to do more of what you love. But instead of doing that, you do more of what you hate so that you can buy enough time to do a little bit of what you love. How does that even make sense? So I would suggest that you have the courage to pursue the things that you love and make that your full-time obsession so you don't have to find another thing to make you happy again. That's what I've done for myself over two and a half decades. My first love was graphic design. It, it, it transformed and mutated into my love for motion design, storytelling, live action directing, animation, and compositing. I transitioned into brand strategy, but my first love is in design. My second love is in teaching. And so the career that I have today is I, I look at myself as an educator and a content creator. This is my love. So I don't need anyone to motivate me. There's plenty of motivation because I, I receive a tremendous jo- amount of joy and satisfaction in just doing this thing. And so to everybody who's hating their job, showing up showing up every day for a job that sucks, that undervalues them, and they underperform in, I think they really need to have an honest conversation with themselves to say, is this really what I was meant to do on this earth? For people who are doing what they love and still working ni- a nine-to-five job, can you give them an advice on how to ask for a raise? Ask for a raise? Yeah. Yeah, sure. If you do what you love, that's a condition, I think, of having an aligned life. And that's good. Okay. Is what you love translatable into real measurable outcomes? This is really important. Because I love to work on logo design, I think I should get paid more. But if the company doesn't value what you love, that's a problem. So the first thing I would do pre you asking for a raise is to ask for what would constitute a raise. And you could come to your boss and you can say, look, I would love to make more money here. But I understand that's oftentimes predicated on me doing something that you want me to do. Can you help give me some definitions around what is valuable or what is important? And then they should tell you. And if they can't tell you, you're probably never going to get a raise. And so if they say, you know, Stanley, if you can help us close three new clients for five or $10,000, we would definitely give you a raise because you're totally killing it. You're great. I'll come back to you after I've closed three, five to $10,000 clients. And then at that point, will you pay me then this new amount of money? And they're like, yes, now you know what to work on. And so you need to make sure what you do is value to the people, is valuable to the people who make the decisions about how much money you should get paid. That's logical, right? Yeah. yeah. How about looking for mentors, especially in the creative field? Not all managers or mentors are compatible with your design skills or creativity. So how would you look for the right mentor? It's not all about, it's not about the money here. It's about the training and the skill that you need to improve. And you get trained by your maybe dream creative. Yeah. So I think Seth Godin and others have said some really great things on this specific topic. He's, I think Seth said something like mentors are hard to get because they're in short supply. For every one person that you want, there are probably 10, 15, 20 people are asking them for the exact same thing you're asking them for, right? And so it can be difficult to get a mentor. So his concept is have a hero. 
There's lots of people who can be your hero and they don't even need to know that you're alive. So if you have someone you want to study under, listen to all their podcasts, watch all of their YouTube content, read their carousels, read their LinkedIn posts, buy their course, attend their webinar. And so you get to learn from that person indirectly. And this is really, really important. So at some point you, you'll feel like you get to, you got to know them so well that you could do things for them. And I, I think at that point you've, you've probably learned a lot of new skills. So you don't need necessarily to have a mentor. You can have a hero and you can just follow all of the content because Imran says success leaves clues. Right now, this year, 2022, what is the, what are the trends in logo design and graphic design? Are they coming back to the simpler designs right now instead of the different effects with the logos? Yeah, I'm not sure effects on logos were ever something that I paid attention to. Oftentimes what happens is here, designers, the way they solve problems is to add more stuff. But a really confident, competent designer says what has to be here. If it doesn't have to be here, I'm going to get rid of it. So what you're seeing in the last couple of years, this is way before the pandemic, so it's at least three years old, is the move towards simple logos. And how we see that is because the logos that were designed for these big fashion brands or, or, or companies were bad designs to begin with. So they're just trying to make it more contemporary, modern, and, and useful, and, and something that's very versatile for, to adapt to lots of different things. If you have a very thin typeface, well, once you scale down to a certain point, it's illegible. And it's a little tricky to, to do this. So you're, you're seeing that transition, but I don't know of any logo trends and I, I would be wary of anybody who predicted logo trends for you. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think the, they're, the classier design, the simpler designs are more recognizable, especially when you reduce it, resize it into maybe your calling cards or when it's printed on the billboards and it becomes smaller. Yeah. Let's talk about, sir, the, 17 and 18 and you'll be talking about the creativity mindset and content marketing sir can you give us a, a few snippets about the topic that you'll be talking about this september yeah i'm going to be doing a main stage talk around mindset and limiting beliefs and the reason why i want to focus on this especially for the philippines is i'm discovering that there's a small island mentality there is a developing country mentality. And after decades of colonialism, there is an inferiority complex that's been developed. So what I want to do is I want to help people unpack this to reinvent their mind, to tell themselves a new self story, to silence the inner critical voice so that they can actually see themselves in a positive, healthy, sustainable way. And this is really so we'll be doing some large group exercises together. I know it's going to be scary for a lot of people. I'm going to tell some stories. It's going to be as interactive as I can make it with a large group. And then the following day, I believe I'm doing an all-day workshop. We haven't finalized the details, but I think it's going to be around content content creation, content marketing, and and, and leveraging brand for, for money, monetizing your brand. Sir, the trend right now in video content, especially in TikTok and uh, Facebook. Is it more of the shorter content right now? I think we already went through that. Uh, yeah. on, on TikTok, was, it is short content, yeah. right? Yeah. And on, on Instagram with Reels, it is also short. A lot of, what you what you need to understand is a social platform starts to grow in prominence as TikTok has 
the other social media giants like Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, they have to pay attention because if they don't, they're not paying attention to the trends. So we have a shrinking attention span. We're consuming more content on our mobile devices because A, the devices have gotten very powerful and the internet connection has gotten a lot better. And so our phones are with us everywhere we go. My Mac is on my desktop, but my phone is quite literally everywhere I go. Like I'm in the bathroom, I've got it. I'm laying in bed, I have it. Yeah, I'm going out for a bite to eat, I have it. So you want to have a relationship where the client is, the customer, the consumer, and that's on their phone. And so we don't want to hold our phones for an hour to watch a video. We want to watch short things. And that makes a lot of sense in terms of consumption habits. So are short form vertical videos and, and vertical content here to stay? Absolutely. Until they develop some new kind of phone technology display device. Yeah. And it's going to be more work for the video editors because of the resizing of the videos. In the content, is it more because the Filipinos, they like it's either drama or humor. Yeah. Is it still also the same trend in different countries when you advertise a product or be a content creator. Uh, I know that every person has their own niche, their own target market. But can you give us quite a few trends that are in right now, this 2022? Yeah. So when you say what's trending is drama and humor, right? Yeah. Well, we're all human first before we're content consumption machines. And what we like are stories, stories that make us feel something, stories that teach us something about our life and our understanding of the universe or the world. And so people who are able to do that seem to capture a lot of attention. I, I just was literally talking to Brendan Kane. He wrote the book, Hook Point and One Million Subscribers or One Million Followers. Uh, yeah, one Million Followers. He explained it very simply. Videos or content that has broad appeal, broad appeal, this is important, so that are universal, that are able to keep our attention, do really, really well. And he talks about it being fun, being factual, or to be feeling, those three things tend to drive people to, to watch a piece of content. So if you're a really logical person like myself and all you want to do is teach, our videos are not going to go viral. And it coincidentally, or not coincidentally, our two most viewed videos are both shorts, and they both are speaking about a larger problem, how to price your work, and how to deal with a really difficult client who's just nasty. And there's a reason why those are are doing well is because they appeal to lots of people. There's there's drama built into it. It hits us in the feelings because of the way that we push and pull in the negotiation process. And so you start to see like why those videos would take off. My main problem is I'm a teacher first and foremost, and I want to teach you something, but I don't know how to package it in a way that appeals to a lot of people and hit them in the feelings and make it fun. I don't dance, I don't sing, I'm not cute, I just want to teach. But to that point, the reason why I'm speaking there goes against all those trends of drama and fun. Because you could still give a lot of value to people and they'll feel really connected to you. Great. That's great. We have a lot of insight here in this episode for the listeners of the Underpaid Podcast. Can you tell them where to follow you? 
Thank you so much. You can find me on thefuture.com, the future, F-U-T-U-R. There's no E. It's just F-U-T-U-R. You can follow me on almost every social platform. So I would appreciate it if you did. I'm at the Chris Doe. And Doe is spelled D-O. Yeah. Thank you very much, Mr. Chris Doe. One last question. Why is it? Why is the future without the E? Well, somebody asked me that. They're like, you, you misspelled the future. Where did the E go? I'm like, well, we dropped it. We dropped the ego. Uh, <laughs> nice. Nice. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, it's not Chris. It's not Chris Do. It's Chris Do. <laughs> yes. Most of Chris the Filipinos Do. think it's Chris Do. <laughs> you can say Chris Do. That's fine by me. Because I also believe in, in order to get something, we must do something. Yeah. Thank but you I very also much. like a lot of dough in my pocket as well. <laughs> yeah. You get a lot of pay. You get paid a lot of dough. <laughs> I try to. Yes. Thank you very much, sir. Final advice to all the creatives listening right now, whether they're creative or not, or whether they're in stuck in a nine to five job or not. My advice to you is have a bias towards action. Words are cheap. Intention is cheap until you put action with intention and words. It doesn't do anything. So have a bias towards action. Okay. So for our listeners in the Philippines, plano in your life. If you're passionate about something, go on your And for video content, like what Chris was saying, be be relatable. Uh, that's that's what he was telling us. It has it packs. There's a feeling that you get can relate to it, like how to deal with horrible clients. A lot of people can relate to it, and a lot of people are experiencing it. So, maging relatable kayo and. Short content will always be there. It won't it won't go away, so we have to adapt and see the trends. Want to try new things, okay? So the underpaid podcast, guys, is produced by Podcast Network Asia, and we have episodes every Mondays and Thursdays. We're on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, so if you're not yet subscribing, please click the subscribe button and rate our podcast. Also, give leave a comment and follow us in our social media platforms. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Kumu. And of course, join our Discord group so that we could see each other this October for our meet and greet. So there you have it, guys. For Mr. Chris Doe, the future, let's support the Lika Summit this September. I'm your host, Stanley Chi, and this is the Underpaid Podcast. Thank you, sir. Thank you. And that's another episode of Underpaid with Stanley Chi. Hit that follow button to get updated with our new episodes. Follow us at our socials at The Underpaid Podcast. Kita-kits, mga immortal. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.